you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to turn to Luke chapter number 4 and also Isaiah chapter number 61. Uh, and so we're going to look at both of these passages this morning. They're parallel texts, and, and, and at least in what Jesus is quoting in a portion of it. <coughs> and so we're going to uh, take a look here this morning. I am not remiss this morning that it is, as we've been singing, and I've commented already about being the 245th birthday of our nation. Uh, and so I, I, again, and I stated this earlier, you cannot separate true uh, American history from uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are inseparable. They are intertwined. Uh, they are in the lifeblood of everything uh, that you go back and study. If you study true uh, history the, this morning, uh, you see that. We're going to read this passage in Luke as we get started, and then we'll move back to Isaiah uh, in a moment. And so, but Luke chapter 4. Uh, beginning in verse number 16, Jesus is in the synagogue of Nazareth. Uh, of course, they don't, they don't accept him really. They're, they're, and this is where he states that a prophet is not accepted, uh, is accepted, no prophet is accepted in his own country, he says in verse 24. Uh, and so he's dealing with a less than friendly crowd here. They're, they're just kind of looking. They know him. They've seen him grow up in essence. They even comment, is this not Joseph's son? Uh, and so he's well known here, uh, but not as God. And so he is now uh, coming as the Lord, as the Savior. And in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on Sabbath day. And he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And I want to speak this morning on this thought, a proclamation of liberty. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your words here and the words of Isaiah. Lord, thank you that you are the fulfillment of this passage. Thank you that we see many parallels between our nation and this passage and our purpose, we see many parallels in the Christian life where you brought us from when we were lost in our sin and you preached to us the gospel and you healed us and then you set us at liberty to live the Christian life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see some of these parallels this morning. I pray that it would help us to hold even in either greater value, Lord, not only uh, the freedoms that we have as Americans, but the freedom that we have as your children, as Christians of the living God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to serve you faithfully and well. Lord, may we find a new zeal and fervor by which we follow you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I preach this morning, I, I would ask that you do this. I, I, I want you to purposely draw the parallel in your mind between the tyranny of a British king over the colonies to the tyranny 
of the God of this world over people who are lost and without Christ. There is an unmistakable, in my heart and mind, as I study and reviewed many of these historical things this week in preparation, to see that what our nation went through in its earliest days are what we as Christians go through as we are under the, the yoke of the bondage of sin and the God of this world and then Christ comes and sets us free. We need to be healed before we can serve faithfully, before we can do that which needs to be done. And Jesus here proclaims that the liberty that he gives accomplishes those things in our lives. In the 1700s, things were coming to a head. There were a lot of things that were, that were laid out and put upon uh, the colonists and the yoke that was born upon them. These things, as they came to a head, brought out a lot of, uh, a lot of reaction. The Boston Tea Party, uh, the Stamp Act, uh, the Boston Massacre, uh, the, the convening of the First Continental Congress, uh, the Virginia House of Burgesses having to be moved and relocated because of, uh, of the problems that it faced. And as we look at these things this morning and we see uh, how they came about, I, I want you to just kind of intentionally try to make that parallel within uh, your heart and your mind. In 1774, a great orator known as Josiah Quincy voiced the colonists' sentiments. For under God, he said, we are determined that whatsoever, whensoever, or howsoever we shall be called to make our exit, we shall die free men. The crown appointed governor in that area around that time stated this, if you ask an American who is his master? He will tell you he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ. In fact, during that time in the colonies, as the First Continental Congress convened on September 5th, 1774, the rally cry that was going throughout the colonies was this, no king but King Jesus. There was a definite focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he meant to a burgeoning country that was trying to break free from the chains of, of a tyrant. I'm going to tell you this morning, there is no tyrant so powerful, so ruthless, and so, so uncaring about what happens to us as long as his, his ends are met, and that tyrant's name is Satan. He seeks to undermine and undo everything that God wants to do. And you see the colonists going through much that same uh, thing. At the Second Virginia Convention on March 23rd, 1775, which had to relocate to a church from the House of Burgesses because uh, of oppression and attack uh, from uh, the British crown, uh, Patrick Henry stood uh, and stated this to that, to that assembly. Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of the means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. Three millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, 
We shall not fight our battle alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will rise up is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Amen. We look at this undying heart of the American people and the, what's stamped in our nature uh, as our, with our countrymen who are true patriots. Patrick Henry also boldly declared this, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. As things continue to, to degrade nationally, the Congress assembled on July 4th, 1776. For days they had wrestled with the language of Thomas Jefferson's writing. There were parts that were omitted until they finally made the changes that were necessary. And as they made those changes, they came with that uh, incredible document that is on display today, the original in the National Archives buildings in Washington, D.C., that we know as the Declaration of Independence. As they wrote and as it began, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read some excerpts to it to just kind of lay the foundation this morning for what we have in our country and what Jesus has given us as Christians in our personal Christian lives. And they wrote this, When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be exchanged for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. 
for the next several paragraphs of the Declaration, they list all of the grievances against the British Crown. And then he comes to state this, in every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. He elaborates a little more and then comes back with this. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, and general Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the restitute of our intentions due in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Amen. My friends, when you read these words, can you not hear Satan overpowering the Christian life and see the freedom that Jesus has given to those that would place their faith and trust in him? Amen. On December 23rd, 1776, in the woods at Valley Forge, the troops were assembled by order of General Washington and read part of the writing from Thomas Paine that said this, Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. The cause of America is in a great measure the cause of all mankind. Where, say some, is the king of America? I tell you, friend, he reigns above. And we look and we understand the great tyranny that we were birthed from. You cannot help but understand the great tyrant that resides over the world today. And our enemy, the enemy of God, that seeks to enslave the hearts and the spirits and the souls of men and condemn them to an eternity in hell. Jesus comes to face the tyrant. Jesus comes to live out the plan that God has set forth from heaven. And as he walks into that synagogue at Nazareth, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Amen. If there's one thing that we as Americans hold dear, true patriotic Americans, it's liberty. 
And we look on this date, July 4th, 1776, 245 years ago, as the Declaration of Independence was approved and brought forth, we saw a break from a tyrannical power which required much sacrifice. And I say this morning that Jesus gave us a break from a tyrannical power that required and requires much sacrifice. His sacrifice has been made. Our sacrifice is still being laid on the battlefield. Liberty was sought by our forefathers and liberty has been provided by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Liberty is one of the terms that liberal America is distorting today. That they're twisting to their own purpose. And liberty by definition in Webster's Dictionary does have great latitude. And he talks about liberty as simply being freedom from restraint. And then there is natural liberty. Natural liberty is that liberty which gives us the power, man the power as acting as one thinks fit without any restraint or control uh, except for the laws of nature. That's the liberty that liberal America wants today. The survival of the fittest, the majority rule. I get so fed up with listening to things. We were looking for videos this morning and, uh, and to, to show and to just use this morning in the service and one of them that really was pretty good just kept saying the, 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 in our democracy, our democracy, I get so sick of hearing that on the news. The United States of America is not a democracy. It is a democratic republic. What's the difference, Pastor? In a democracy, the mob rules. In a democratic republic, we are ruled by representatives uh, that we elect and that we send to represent and speak on our behalf, not to push their own agenda upon us. Uh, anytime a representative that we send begins to act upon their own interest rather than acting upon the benefit and for the will of the people who sent him, they should be voted out of office. That is our right. That is our duty as Americans. But I'm telling you this morning that the natural liberty that the world wants is the natural liberty that will destroy uh, everything that we stand for. What we see in real liberty, civil liberty, is this. Natural liberty, only restrained by law as is necessary and expedient for the safety and security of society. Liberty is not for everyone to do that which is right in their own eyes, in their own time, in their own way. Liberty must be restrained by sanity and by values and by principles. Then there's religious liberty, which we hold dear. Worship according to the, to the dictates of conscience without external control. That's the liberty that God has given us. He did not give us a liberty that said, I've died for you, I've given you eternal life, now go out and just do whatever you want, nothing else matters. He gave us liberty with the restraint of biblical principle and the responsibility to fulfill His will for our lives. In Isaiah chapter 6, in verse number 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. If it sounds familiar, because that's this is the text that Jesus was quoting uh, in Luke chapter 4. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek, He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Jesus stopped 
at proclaiming the, and did not say to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord because he wasn't coming to bring judgment. He was coming to bring the gospel. And so Isaiah's prophecy is that the Messiah will come and after the age of the church, then the judgment upon the earth will come. Jesus came in Luke to fulfill that first part. He will come again at some point in the future to fulfill that second part. In verse 3 of Isaiah 61, he says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, to the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, and that they shall build the old waste, that they shall raise up the former desolations, and that they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, the Hebrew word that's translated liberty here means to move rapidly. It means spontaneity of outflow and it means purity. And so the example that's given in the definition of the Hebrew dictionary is an outflowing of myrrh. Myrrh is significant because it was used for multiple purposes, but most prominently in the East, in Eastern cultures, it was used for healing. It was used to bring healing to those uh, that, were, uh, that were sick and that were infirm. And in particular, it was a blood clotting agent. In Egypt, it was imported to be used in burial and for embalming. And so what he's saying here, when Jesus says, I come to proclaim liberty, I'm moving in rapidly and I'm flowing into you the purity of holy and a righteous Savior and I am coming to heal you and I am coming uh, to, to care for you. And at Jesus' sacrifice, it was, his, uh, it was that blood clotting agent that helped his sacrifice, that helps heal wounds, that helps... Uh, that helps uh, touch when he says to you, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. How will he heal us? He comes as an outpouring of myrrh to give healing and to give, uh, to give help. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the word liberty means in the Greek to release from bondage or imprisonment. And so when Jesus spoke, he said, I have come to proclaim unto you that I'm here to release you from the bondage and the imprisonment of sin. It is forgiveness or pardon from sins. It is parenthetically letting them go as if they had never been committed. The justification that we have been given by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is the epitome of what liberty is intended to be. Christian liberty this morning is not the freedom to act and to live and to worship as we please. It is the freedom to exercise our biblical responsibilities uh, and, uh, that are guided as guided by Scripture and the Holy Spirit and the constraint of our love for Christ as we execute His will. We are, my friends, not at liberty as we're saved uh, from our sin to just go out and act as we please and forget that we represent the great King of heaven. But the love for the love of Christ constraineth us because we, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Listen, we are constrained by biblical principle and truth and most of all, the love of Christ. It should guide us. It should drive us. It should define our livelihoods, how we live, how we worship, how we present, how we represent the great king of this universe. 
There are three things that I want to point out this morning as we examine our text. And the first is this. Number one, we are at liberty from sin's penalty. This is very simple. It is the gospel. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. What did he come to give? What did he come uh, to preach? As Isaiah worded it, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. The good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's come to preach them to the poor. So, well, Pastor, uh, not everybody's poor. What about the rich man? Don't miss the point here. If you are here, it doesn't matter what you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how much property you own. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter how big your retirement account is. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are poor and destitute. Amen. Jesus said, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor, to those who are without salvation. To those who do not have what God gave, that do not understand or possess the faith to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord or Savior. What he's saying here is basically twofold. Number one, God's grace is at hand. God's grace is here. Isaiah told you that it would come. Jesus comes into the synagogue at Nazareth to proclaim to them what you heard Isaiah prophesy many years ago and what is written and what you study and what you read from in this synagogue. I am here to tell you that I am the person and the embodiment of the grace that was proclaimed unto you. We are at liberty from sin's penalty because we have been exposed and been provided the grace of God. We are not saved by our own merit. We cannot be saved by turning over a new leaf. We cannot find eternal life because we uh, are good enough or have done enough things or have been baptized enough times or have taken enough uh, communions. We, we cannot rely upon anything that, that man can do, has done, or will do. We are completely, totally, and utterly at the disposal of the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace is at hand. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. However, when we trust Christ as Savior, it should impact and reflect in our life. In verse 10, he said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before, uh, before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, absolutely the trusting of Jesus Christ as Savior should transform radically our lives and our values and our principles and our motives. What we are seeing here this morning is this, that we, are been, we have been set at liberty from the penalty of our sin, the penalty that has held us in bondage, the penalty that has enslaved us, the penalty that has driven us to a point of despair and of breaking into poverty spiritually. We have been provided a gospel and the grace of God is not something that will come. It is something that has come and in the grace of God that gives us liberty over our sin. So pastor, but I don't, I want to believe that. But how do I believe that? What about someone that's never heard? The word of God gives faith to believe. If any man lack, let him pick up the Bible and let him read its pages and let him learn of its Savior and let him hear of its values and let him learn what sin is and what it's done and the pain that it's caused and inflicted. And as we read those pages and as we hear those truths and we observe those principles, we will be brought to the grace 
of the hand of God as He loves us and leads us to Himself so that we can be set at liberty from the penalty of sin. I'm so glad this morning that when I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He not only forgave my sin, but He eradicated them. He made it as if I had never even committed one. Everything had been paid for. Everything had been absolved. Everything was wiped away, not because of me, but because of Him. We're at liberty from sin's penalty. Sadly, this morning, not every person that lives free from the penalty of sin lives free from the power of sin. Many decide to maintain their, their yokes. Many decide to, to keep on their chains. Many decide to deal with uh, the, the, the outpouring of sin in this world and they cling to it and they can't get over it and they let it make them embittered and they let it rob their joy and they let it steal uh, their fervor for God. And Jesus addresses that here too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. In Isaiah, we were told that He would do that. He hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's talking about healing. Listen, this morning Jesus Christ did not just set us at liberty from the penalty of our sin, but He heals us from the wounds that we've sustained because of our sin. There is no sin that we have that we, we may bear the scars, but we have healing. We may have to bear in our bodies, those scars of our sin. Uh, but Jesus brings healing. And the message here this morning is this, that Jesus comes and He says, I've come to give you the grace of God. I've come to give you eternal life. But I've all come, so come to heal the wounds that were caused by your sin. I've come to minister to you. I've come to care for you. I've come to heal you and to lift you up. What does He heal us from? Well, two things here. First, He heals us from brokenness. I have come to heal the broken heart. If you're broken this morning, let Jesus heal you. The first step, obviously, is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive His forgiveness. Receive eternal life. But beyond that, if you live and you're enduring a life that is broken, if you're enduring a life that's, that's, that has no joy, if you're enduring a life to which you feel as if uh, you, you can never get past your past and you can never uh, fully be uh, liberated from what God uh, or from what you've, mistakes you've made before, may I say to you this morning that Jesus comes to heal you. Healing. Healing from brokenness. Not only does He heal us from brokenness, but He delivers us from a life of bondage. We are delivered this morning. You, if, if you, listen... If you're sitting this morning in a prison of your past sin, if you're sitting this morning with the shackles of a broken heart, may I say to you that the keys to unlock the shackles and the keys to open the door of your cell are found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The, the keys, he, he has the keys from death and hell. He retrieved them. They're in his disposal. And the eternal life that He gives you is not to be a life that is to be lived in misery and the life that's to be lived uh, without value and without purpose. It is a life that is intended to be lived in joy and happiness. It is a life that's to be fruitful and multiplying. It's a life that's to have value and meaning. Why? Because you have been delivered this morning from that life of bondage. Amen. 
Thirdly, we see that not only did he set us at liberty from sin's penalty and sin's power, but we are at liberty to fulfill the Savior's purpose. Notice again what he says in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, again, he's, he prophesied before Jesus came, He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Notice what Isaiah prophesied their mission would be. To appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. He's replacing their mourning with joy, their ashes, their destruction with a life of purpose, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, their depression and their being down to be lifted up to praise their God, that they might be called the trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified by our changed lives and our fruit bearing lives as we go out and build and they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the way cities, the desolations of many generations. Listen, what God can do in all of the lives of those that he touches when they embrace the liberty that they have in Christ is that they find salvation and they find freedom and they find the ability to go out and not indulge in the sin that, re that restrained them and that bound them, but to be set free from that sin to make a difference in the world around us. That's our purpose. That's what Jesus clearly has given us to become. We are at liberty not to live our way, but to fulfill the Savior's purpose. Christian liberty, remember, is not the freedom to act, live, and worship as we please. It is the freedom to exercise our biblical responsibilities as we're guided by Scripture and the Holy Spirit and the constraint of our love for Christ as we execute His will. We're set at liberty to fulfill the Savior's purpose. What is that purpose? We saw in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 that it's the liberty to grow. You're at liberty this morning to grow. You can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can grow in His power. You can grow in His use of your life and His empowerment of it. We see not only are we at liberty to grow, but we're at liberty to build. To go out and to rebuild that which Satan has destroyed. To go out and to rebuild that which the world attacks. To go out and to build. Listen, I understand that Jesus Christ will build His church. But my friends, He uses His children as His laborers. Amen. He prayed, pray the Lord of the harvest that He'll send forth laborers into His harvest. Would we exercise our liberty to be laborers in His harvest? Would we pledge our life, liberty, and sacred honor? Would we, would we, like our forefathers, stand up and be willing to fight the battles that need to be fought and engage the enemy on the battlefield, even if it means that our own lives and our own spirits and our own futures are put in jeopardy for the cause of Christ, for the cause of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel? Would we stand and would we deliver the message that Jesus delivered and gave us to pass down? Listen, liberty will be tested. Liberty will require continual sacrifice. And as we look and understand that without liberty, life has no real value and no real meaning. 
we come to understand that what Jesus Christ has provided for us was something that has great value, something that is to be appreciated, something that is to be loved, something that is to be cherished and clung to. Remember the words of Thomas Paine, tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. Do we esteem what Jesus Christ has given us too lightly because we have not appreciated the sacrifice that it cost Him to give it? Do we esteem it lightly because we've been unwilling to make the sacrifice that He requires that we make? What sacrifice is that, Pastor? That living sacrifice of your life and mine. That living sacrifice that puts Him first in every respect. The end of the Civil War. <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln went to the battlefield of Gettysburg. And as he stood at the battlefield of Gettysburg and he thought about what he would say there, one of the most powerful and one of the shortest speeches in all of American history was delivered. There are today only five copies of this speech in existence. Two of them, the two most commonly, they all have... Uh, they have slightly different wording as he worked and refined this particular version of it as the one widely accepted as the one that he read that day. And I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but I think that what he proclaims and the sacrifice of those men on the battlefield exemplifies what we should, what we should embrace and honor as Christians when we look at the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of the apostles and the sacrifice of the martyrs and the sacrifice of other Christians that have gone on and paved the way before. Like our fellow Americans, so have our fellow Christians given us a rich heritage. Abraham Lincoln stood on the edge of that battlefield and he said, now, this is very short. I will read the whole speech. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this, but in a larger sense, notice his words, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or to detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they have gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. 
Abraham Lincoln, November 19, 1863. The Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. My friends, I say this. If we as Americans do not rise up and embrace and live and exercise our political rights and our religious freedom, we will lose it and those that have provided it will have died in vain. Christians, I say this. If we do not lay our life on the altar of sacrifice, a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we do not embrace his principles and his way of life and his instruction, if we do not embody the spirit of everything that Jesus brought, then his crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the moving and the leading of the will of God shall be in vain in our lives. May we... Be real Americans, but even more so, may we be real Christians. May we honor those that have gone before. May we honor those that have consecrated the gospel which we serve. I'm saying this morning that Jesus will build his church, but I'm also saying that he wants to use you to be a part of it. Will we embrace the call? Or will we sit idly by while the world burns it down? As an American, I don't want to stand idly by and watch a liberal world burn my country to the ground. And as a Christian, I don't want to watch as they burn it, they also destroy the Christian fabric. You realize this morning that most people have no idea of the names that I just read. They might know Abraham Lincoln. Many college graduates today struggle to tell you correctly who George Washington was. Thomas Paine? Never heard of him. There's something great that's been lost in our country, and there's something even greater that's being lost in our churches today. I will not intentionally disgrace, decredit, devalue my God or my nation. May we hold them high. Why? Because they're worthy. There's nothing great about us, but there's something great about them. It's not the greatness of my sacrifice or your sacrifice, it's the greatness of what they've laid on the field of battle. It's the honor that they've given us to live and to preserve and to, to, to keep moving forward. Will I value enough the sacrifice of my Savior, of my fellow countrymen, to lay my life a sacrifice as well? We've been given great blessing. We've been given great opportunity. And by the way, Notice that Jesus said, that Isaiah prophesied, I want to give you, I want to take away that which is devastating to you, and I want to heal you. I want to give you joy. I want to give you prosperity. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are not American ideas. They're biblical ideas. Will we suffer along the way? Certainly. Will battles need to be fought? Of course. The question is not whether they need to be fought. The question is, will we rise to the occasion to fight them? Will we exercise the liberty that has been provided to us as Jesus proclaimed it?